Vine Campus of New Day Community Church. And I am starting today a, a kingdom parable series that does go with a life group. So she mentioned this, but on the bulletin, I should say, who got a bulletin? And make everybody who got a bulletin raise their hands. Who got a bulletin? Who are my best friends? Yay! Over half, it looks like. Please get a bulletin. The address for the life group is on the bulletin. Come, sit with us, drink coffee, have a conversation about this. It will be fun. But the first message is on the value of the kingdom. So we're going to look at some of the parables that Jesus spoke when they asked him about the kingdom. People have been asking about the kingdom for a long time. Who knows this, right? People have talked about this all the time, about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. What in the world do you mean by that? Well, people had questions even back in Jesus' day. Jesus had this habit of saying, well, the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. And then he told a short story called Parable. So we're going to dig into some of those parables and learn about the kingdom. We thought the value of the kingdom was an excellent place to start. And so we are looking at this parable in Matthew 13, 44 to 46. It's actually two of them squished together, but they arguably make only one point. The kingdom of heaven is absolutely, surpassingly valuable. I'll read it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. <clears throat> when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. It's kind of a weird thing to say about the kingdom of heaven. And then it gets a little stranger. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. Okay, Jesus. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. And then Jesus just kind of drops this in their lap. Like, they're asking questions about the kingdom. He's like, oh, it's like this. Think about that for a while. Well, tonight we're going to think about this for a while. And the first one we're going to talk about is this, this problem here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's a, kind of a strange analogy, you know. We might have all kinds of questions like, why did he hide it again? Why didn't he just take it? You know, it, you know it's, it's just kind of strange. But I want to bring it into a modern-day context and what this might look like, okay? So let's imagine that you're going to buy a house. It's, oh, I want to talk about that. But I'm sorry. It's been a little scattered the past few minutes. Without banks, it was, in fact, common to hide money in the ground. This is important. Jesus is not talking about something that seems fanciful or far off or weird. This was real life for them. A lot of times they would hide money in land that they owned to keep it safe from invaders, robbers, armies, or whatever. They couldn't just go down to Chase and make a deposit, you know? And it was absolutely, totes legit, I believe my slide says, to claim any hidden treasure on land that you bought. It would be like owning the mineral rights to a property and striking oil. The oil is yours. So if you buy some land and it happens to have a buried treasure on it, guess who gets the treasure? You. And for quite a deal, because you only had to pay the price of the land. And we're talking about a considerable treasure here. We're talking about, think treasure chest, you know, don't think like a hundred bucks like we talked about last time I talked, you know, <coughs> shoved in the ground. It's, this is a large sum of money. And if we were to bring this into the modern context, it would be as if you were buying some land that had like an old barn or an old house on it, right? And let's say the land cost, I don't know, what, what do you want to say the land cost? Like a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, it, just enough so that if you sold everything you had, like right down to the bare floors, you would have enough to buy this land. But you decided it was worth it because you looked in the windows and there are a couple of custom, I think that's a swept tail Rolls Royce. I don't know how many they made. It would be like 
26 million dollars or something for a couple of them. And let's say that just some old eccentric rich guy, some multi-billionaire, forgot he stashed a couple Rolls Royces on that property and you know sold it to you for five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Guess who gets the cars? You. You think that might be worth selling everything you have and buying that land? Absolutely. Here's another example. Let's say you're a mom and you're concerned that all your kid does is read comic books and there ain't no learning getting done. So you find an old set, you find an old set of encyclopedias and you buy them for your poor, struggling child who just needs help with the learning department. He's excited because he opens up the encyclopedias, which are intended to help him learn real stuff about real things, and finds a whole bunch of old comics. <laughs> That's an action comics number one. It's worth a couple million dollars. That's where Superman first appears. Oh my God. And let's further say that you live in Ohio and this happened to you. Yeah. And you used the money to start the Black Hole Comic Shop on Norton Road where I used to buy my comics. <laughs> <laughs> That's really how the comic book store owners got the money to start the comic shop. Oh, wow. Yeah, this for real happens, guys. People find treasures in the field. And mm -hmm. He's like, my mom bought me these encyclopedias. She thought it helped me study. Guess what was in there? A bunch of old comics worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Woo! So he bought and stocked at the comic shop, which sadly I think just closed last year. That's kind of sad. Anyway, moving on. So this is not far out there, guys. Jesus says, so a man finds a treasure hidden in a field, and they're like, oh, was it Maurice next door? I heard something like that happen to him. You know, so they're already engaged. This is possible. But we know that the Rolls Royces are valuable. Why? Because they're worth a ton of money, right? We know the Action Comics number one is valuable, right? Because it's worth a ton of money. But here's my question. Why is the kingdom valuable? Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like these incredibly expensive things that you'd, be, you'd get a deal if you could sell everything that you had to get it. Why is it a treasure? And I'm going to give you some reasons. And I just want to encourage us to discipline ourselves to remember why the kingdom is valuable before we move on to the next couple points. Number one, the kingdom is valuable because the old kingdom was horrible. Mm -hmm. The Bible clearly teaches that everybody starts as a default in the kingdom of darkness. In fact, if you go to the book of Colossians, Paul writes to Colossians and he says this about what Jesus did for, the, for us. In Colossians 1, 13 to 14, it says he has rescued us. How many of you know that if you need rescuing from something, it's probably bad? Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's like the authority, the rule of darkness. And brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, I would encourage us to remember today, if you are a Christian and you have experienced that shift from being under the dominion and the control and the authority of a kingdom of darkness, that some of us were in a darker place than others. But remember that today. You know, look back to appreciate what Christ has done for you and where you are right now. That's one of the reasons that the kingdom is a treasure. Because it got you out of the old kingdom. Another reason the kingdom is a treasure. Because there will be a judgment. In the parable, right before this parable in Matthew, Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Do you guys know this one? Where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a guy who's got a field. This is the Anthony paraphrase. And he plants good seed, the good seed grows up into good plants, and then an enemy comes and sows bad seed that grows up into weeds. And then his angels come and they're like, whoa, you planted good seed, what's going on? 
And the end of that story is kind of grim. Here's the end of the parable, right before the treasure in the field parable. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. This is Jesus explaining. The weeds are the people of the evil one. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, and there there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 39, 40, and 42. Does that sound pleasant? No. no. Does that sound absolutely horrifying? Yes. Does that sound like... And you know what? Jesus is speaking figuratively here. So people are like, is hell literally a blazing furnace of fire? I think that question misses the point. Jesus is using the scariest, most horrible thing he can to compare it to hell. That tells us that it's a place we absolutely don't want to be, right? That's good enough for me. If you were in the new kingdom, you never go there. So not only was the old kingdom terrible, so the new kingdom gets you out of that, that's great. There's a judgment coming for the old kingdom, and you miss out on that because you're in the new kingdom. That's pretty good. So let's take a moment today, and let's take a deep breath, and let's thank Jesus for that. Remember what you're not going to experience. Another reason. Because in the new kingdom, you become a child of the king. This is absolutely part of entering the new kingdom. You can't be in the new kingdom without experiencing this. Right after Jesus says in the parable, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is super scary. He says this about the people of the kingdom. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Wow. So not only do you miss out on the judgment, not only do you get out of the old kingdom, but in the new kingdom, you are literally a privileged child of the ruler of the kingdom. That's pretty darn good. It's good to be the king. It's (laughs) arguably better and easier to be the king's kid. Assuming you're not some twisted, horrible story where they... they, Never mind. Anyway. Too much European history in college. All right. Anyway, moving on. Here's another reason. That's the same point. Because Jesus' life was the price of admission. And this is one of the, this is the most valuable thing about the kingdom. The only way you can get in, the only way you can become a child of the king, the only way you can avoid the judgment to come on the old kingdom, and the only way you can get out of the horrible old kingdom is by getting into the new kingdom. Well, how in the world do you do that? Well, it took something took the death of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is absolutely supreme. We're going to go to Colossians again. This is what Paul says about Jesus. He's painting a big, huge panoramic view of who Christ is. He says the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Let me pause there. That's a status statement, by the way. That's not saying Jesus was actually created. The firstborn means like preeminent, absolutely supreme. He's got all the rights. He's the big dog, okay? The firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Dang. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. 
Paul is saying you cannot get better, higher, or more important than Jesus Christ. Of everything you can see and a ton of things you can't, and even things that are beyond your imagination, they all pale in comparison to the person of Jesus Christ. Next sentence. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul paints this gigantic, glorious picture of who Christ is and says, guess what? That is the thing, the person, the being, the supreme one who is sacrificed for you. That's sobering. That's sobering. Our price of admission into the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ himself. And a thing is generally worth whatever it costs. How much is that car worth? I pay about 10000 How much is that Rolex worth? I think they're going for 25000 right now. I don't know. No more Rolexes. Hey, how much was admission to the kingdom worth? The life of the most amazing and perfect creature in the universe. Christ himself. It's worth the life of God. That's how much it costs. That's a treasure. Amazing. Let's remember that today. All right. This treasure is worth the trade. So the first thing I'd like us to do today, as I said, is to remember how much it's worth. Remember that it's valuable. Reflect on where you came from. Reflect on where you don't have to go. Reflect on what it means that Christ died for you. And then, let's look at the next part of this parable. The fact that he sold everything he had to buy the field. The treasure is worth the trade. In his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought the field. Why do you think he did it in joy? Why would you sell everything you have down to the bare floors and then sell the house too? And why would you be happy about it? Because of what you're going to get. That's right. You're going to get something so much better than what you gave up. You're going to get something so much more valuable. You looked in the windows. You saw the Rolls Royces. You opened up the pages. You saw the Action Comics number one. It's like, how much does it cost? The guy thinks he's taking advantage of you. I don't know. 20 acres, $500,000. All right. Put in an extra 5000 just to be nice. Have a good day, sir. Where do I sign Gosh, you seem happy. Weird. Maybe I should have looked in the windows. Yes. Yes, my friend. You should have. (laughs) So you're getting something way better than what you're giving up. So what kind of things should you give up? And let me pause here and say, we don't buy our entrance into the kingdom. Jesus bought our entrance into the kingdom. But there are still certain things that we part with, that we trade. Metaphorically, the things we sell in order to enter. You cannot earn it. But some things cannot enter it. And there are several lists in the New Testament of behaviors and types of things that just are not welcomed in God's kingdom. Let's look at a list or two. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. How are you guys doing? Real good. Excellent. Paul says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. That's your sinful, nasty nature. It doesn't mean biceps and deltoids. He's contrasting. At least I hope it does. I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. All right. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Jim Rose. <coughs> Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Have we hit on anything that anyone in this room struggles with yet? Don't amen. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And yes, that was a big thing when Paul was writing. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. We need to let this hit us right where we live. Because Paul is writing to the church. Okay? Now we might say that our witchcraft and orgy days are behind us. I hope that is the truth. Are your envious, faction-making dissension days behind you? How's your temper? This is going to hit someone somewhere, and that's Paul's point. He's about to list the fruit of the Spirit and contrast it with that. But my point is this. These things are treated as things that you have to give up. You have to trade it. This has to be worth the price of the field. All right? I really like being a selfish, ambitious, temper-ridden human being. This is all I know. But I am willing to part with that. Because I've looked in the windows and I've seen the cars, right? I'm willing to part with that because I know that Jesus Christ, Jesus' life is worth more than that to me. Is it worth more than that to you? Here's another list from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to, 9 to 10. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's about to give us another list of stuff we need to part with to buy the field, metaphorically. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, I think I need to increase the size of my font, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now some of those, in our current culture, we might read that and be like, I can't believe he just read that one part, you all know what I'm talking about, from the front in 2018. Well, these have all been issues since 18. Okay? <laughs> Nothing has changed. You know, this is hitting the audience today the same as it hit the audience then, where they're like, Paul, but that, Paul, but that, that, that's all of us. Yeah. And Paul says, yeah. In the next verse he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were cleansed. That's right. Part with these things. I want to encourage you today. Whatever was up here, and maybe the Lord is just convicting you of something in your heart that does not belong. Do you guys remember the old Sesame Street song, One of These Things is Not Like the Other? One of these things just doesn't belong. If the Lord is showing you something like that in your heart, do not love that thing today more than Jesus. Do not consider that thing more valuable than the blood of Christ. There was a guy in the Bible who puts flesh and blood on what that looks like. A guy who ran up to Jesus and was like, Lord, what do I have to do to get into this kingdom? Here's that interaction. A man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus tells him you have to obey all the laws. The guy says, I've done all that stuff from my youth. I feel like I'm still missing something. What am I missing? What do I still lack? And Jesus says, If you want to be perfect... Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus has pinpointed something in this man. He says he wants to enter the kingdom. He says he wants eternal life. But Jesus sees that there's something he has to trade, something he loves more than anything else. And Jesus puts his finger on it and says, dude, it's your stuff. It's owning you. Get rid of that crap. Sell it. Buy the field. Follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Not angry that Jesus would dare ask. Not indignant 
how dare Jesus even ask me that? That's how stupid. I don't have to do that. Sad because he couldn't do it. Sad because he had an idea of what he's missing, but he couldn't bring himself to make the trade. Guys, don't leave here today without remembering why you value the kingdom, and don't leave here today without making the trade. Let's just be quiet for a minute. Let's pray. If you guys put your heads down, that way even if you're new, you know exactly what to do. Just look real serious and put your head down. <laughs> and if somebody looks around and sees you and they're judging you, then tell on because they shouldn't be doing that. Lord, is there something we need to trade? Just, just quietly in your own heart, have the guts to ask the question and we'll get a response. Lord, is there something I need to trade mm -hmm. to buy the field, to get the kingdom? Lord, do I love something more than you? And you know, God doesn't take a long time to speak. And if he was going to speak to you, I believe he did. And I would encourage you, hold that thing in your mind. And don't leave here today without reckoning with the fact that you love Jesus more than that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's move on. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because trading everything you have for the kingdom is a good deal. Every time. It might not seem like it right now. You know, most times it does, in my experience. Every time I trade something for the kingdom, or I say, all right, God, I'll hand this over to you, things actually get better right now. Yeah. But even if they don't, guess what? Eternity is a long time, and the kingdom is real good. Yeah. So let's set our sights a little farther than next Tuesday. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. This is a treasure worth seeking. The first guy stumbles on a treasure in a field. The next guy is a merchant searching. He's searching for fine pearls. He knows what he's looking for, and he finds one. All right? This is a little bit different. Yes, the, the main point is still that it's super valuable, but I think that there's a subtle difference here. Pearls were in high demand in the ancient world. It was like gold and pearls. They were both right up there. Now we have a wide disparity between what gold and pearls are worth. You know, we still value pearls, but back in the day, they valued them more. Yeah. So this guy is looking. He's looking for a fine pearl. He's looking for something incredibly valuable, and he gets it. The emphasis is on his searching. It's, he, he just, I, I've met people who, who are searching for truth, people that are searching for God. And you've probably met a bunch of people, too, that say they're looking, but they're not really looking to buy. It's like window shopping. Mm -hmm. But when you meet someone who's really searching, it's evident. There's a hunger. There's almost a desperation there. And I imagine this merchant is like that. He's like, where is it? i got to find it. I'm not going to buy just anything. i got to get the one. Yeah. And then he finds the one. And he's so happy, he's like, Nothing I have is worth more than this pearl. I gotta have it. And he sells it and he buys it. So, this might be similar to us as hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Now, I, I thought when I first heard this, this was a stretch. I read it in a book and I thought, eh, come on, man, I don't know about that. But you know what? Merchants don't just find one pearl and stop. You know what I mean? So yes, I think that this does apply to those hearers of Jesus who are looking for God. They're looking for truth. And Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? Your diligent search has turned up a result. Here I am. Here I am. You're going to find it. And that is biblically true. But I think, I think, I think, I think that this is accurate. Just as we're not supposed to stop hungering and thirsting after righteousness, I don't think we're supposed to stop seeking the kingdom pearls. Now you might say... 
Anthony, that seems like a, a preacher stretch. Seems like you're fishing for an application. <laughs> yes! <laughs> but I don't do that unless I think it's accurate. So is that fair? Yes. Excellent. You know, the Bible says, let me, I should put this in a different order. The Bible says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So my question is this. Do we still seek the kingdom in every situation? Are we looking to know what are the kingdom words in this conversation? Because those are going to be valuable. What is the kingdom mindset in this situation? Because that is the most valuable. What is the kingdom course of action at this point in my life? Because that's the most valuable. Search for it. Are we trying to discern it? Do we just go through life on autopilot? Or are we engaging with Jesus? And we're saying, which one of these options is, is kingdom? Which one of these just smells and feels and looks like kingdom? Where is it? I could say all kinds of things right now to this person. I sense I have a moment. But what are the kingdom words to speak? I don't think we should stop looking for that. Amen? And the Bible promises that if we seek, we will find. So I absolutely believe that Jesus is talking about, in this context, the people who are seeking truth and seeking God will find it, if you're legitimately seeking. But I think it's fair, in the spirit of the fourth beatitude, to say, don't stop seeking kingdom applications, kingdom mindsets, and kingdom words in every area of your life. Don't stop seeking. So this treasure, this valuable thing that saves you from the old kingdom, saves you from the judgment that's coming, is bought with the blood of Christ and makes you a child of the king. This amazing treasure that is worth more than anything we have, that is worth trading, anything that gets in the way, that we should still be seeking for, is at our fingertips. It's not far from any of us. Jesus is, is saying these parables because the kingdom of heaven, according to him, is Literally, at hand. So you want it. I would encourage us today to remember the value of the kingdom. If you need prayer for this, come up and get prayer for this. If you need to have a good cry about what life looked, used to look like 10 years ago, you know, there's an old Petra song that says, sometimes it's good to look back down because we've come so far and we've gained such ground. You can give thanks to God for where you are now, especially in life, where you used to be. Amen? Amen? Thank God again for dying for you. Ask for a, a fresh reminder of what that must have been. Let it touch you emotionally today. Then make the trade. If the Lord puts something on your heart or something on your mind, a mindset, a habit, something that is between you and God, something that you know as sure as you're sitting in that chair right now, practically, when the wheels hit the ground, I love this thing more than Jesus. Right now, this thing has a position in my heart where I am saying, God, the blood of Christ is not worth quite as much as this thing because I would keep it and not sell it and not get the field. Make the trade. It will be the best decision you've ever made in your life. Don't keep that thing between you and God. And lastly, do not stop seeking. Don't stop seeking. If you have never found Jesus as a Lord and as a Savior, if those have always seemed like faraway words, I would encourage you to seek and find him tonight. Come up to the prayer team, write it down on stone, be transferred out of that old kingdom, and experience what it's like. 
And if you've been saved for 30 years, I would encourage you to keep seeking the kingdom in every moment of every day. Because when you find the kingdom, you find the most valuable thing in any given situation. Amen. 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 Here's Shamrock, guys. Thank you.